I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, like sometimes they change the names of chocolate bars or cleaning products and things like that. I thought, well, has Walnut Whip now got, got a kind of connotation that people don't like? Oh, it's got a whip in there. Let's take that out. So we'll call it a Walnut Whirl. No, I, I thought they were the same thing. Well, welcome back to the Bake Down podcast for our review of the 2020 final. This is Josh Landy, founder of Bake With A Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former Bake Off stars. And you can now do this from anywhere in the world with our virtual classes. Whilst this is sadly the final podcast, we'll have one more episode to come, which will be a recording of the free live webinar which we're holding this coming Saturday, 20th of November, which we'd love you to join us at. Firstly, Dan beasley Harling will be teaching you how to make the perfect scone, so you can bake along with Dan at 7.30pm UK for around an hour to give you a flavour of what a full-length class with us involves. And then at 8.45pm UK, Dan will be joined by Howard and Jane, and I'll be hosting a reflection on the 2020 series of Bake Off. And we will be taking all your questions. You do have to register if you want to attend, but it is absolutely free. Click on the links in the podcast description to sign up or head to bakewithalegend.com and click on the free webinar button. If you are interested in joining an online class, we have new options that have gone up this week, including Jane's Christmas Pastry Tree and Howard's Luxury Banoffee Pie, with new classes going up all the time. Remember to use the code PODCAST to get 10% off all bookings, and our online classes will be continuing well into 2021. If you're thinking about getting a group together for a virtual Christmas party, or perhaps a family get-together, then we'd of course love to hear from you about a private event as well. Well... What can I say? 10 fantastic episodes, 30 tremendous bakes, 12 contestants whistle down to three for this 
final and one crowned the Bake Off champion. I hope you've enjoyed watching this series as much as we've enjoyed making this podcast for you to listen to, to go alongside it. Joining Jane Howard and myself this week was former finalist Ian Cumming to reflect on a final that we all struggle to call so close with it between Peter and Dave. Thanks for listening to this series and we'll have our live webinar for you to listen to next week, reflecting on the whole series. Well, hello and welcome to the final Bakedown podcast of 2020. I can't believe I'm saying that. It doesn't seem like we've done 10 episodes. And joining me once again, they haven't missed a single episode, are Jane and Howard. Howard, has it seemed like 10 weeks? It's flown by. No, it's not seemed like 10 weeks at all. You, you're absolutely right. It has flown by. And, um, oh, it is a bit sad, isn't it? Yeah, that we've got to, to this stage already. Um, I, I feel I need cheering up now. We could have a weekly chat every week on Zoom. We could just all get together and chat, couldn't we? We have loved doing this podcast and uh, it has been helped by so many of your, your kind emails, of which I'll get to a couple in a moment. We are joined by a former finalist. Um, of course, we've got Jane, but we've got another former finalist, I should say, Ian, Ian Cumming. Ian, welcome. Hi, hi. How are we doing? Uh, we're doing very well. Your poster of your desserts that you mentioned last time was very popular. We had numerous requests to send it out to listeners of the show. So uh, I don't know if you've got anything else you can share with us today, but uh, you're very welcome. Any other posters in your kitchen? Oh, any other posters? No, I have. Uh, oh, I should. I could. Uh, if it, I was about to show you my um, my post box, which is the bread bin, but of course this is a podcast, not video. Um, so uh, yeah, and I have a. A post box installed in the wall, which doubles up as our um, as our bread bin, which is quite oh fun. nice. Sure, Ian, you touch. ought to. After the last time, I think we talked about Sussex pond pudding. I know you oh, had a go at making it, so perhaps yeah. you ought to share your efforts because I think we just very very briefly that those poor bakers had a horrible job to do it in the short time that they had, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It's very interesting. Sort of, um, I mean, I'd made it, I had made it before, but not for quite a while. And I think they were given two and a half hours for the whole challenge. And the recipe I was following recommended steaming it for four hours. I have to admit, I took it out after three hours um, rather than the recommended four because uh, it was dinner time by that point, uh, but I wouldn't have wanted to do it any less. And and to be honest, the, the lemon, though, it was kind of cooked, it was still very sharp in the middle. So who knows, possibly it even needs more than four hours. Um, to re- I can kind of imagine it. If you cook it long enough in that sugary centre, it could go rather gorgeous um, and soft, and you could actually eat the whole lemon. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, that's interesting. Poor old bakers. No wonder they had such a disaster. That yeah, 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 totally. Mm. Set mm. up um, nail, really, that one. Howard, a lot of people will be wondering how your steamed buns have been coming along. Uh, what with that lovely new purchase you had a few weeks ago? I hadn't, I hadn't heard you mention it, so I just thought I'd check. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is that. I, I, I sort of pointed it out. It is on the window still here. It's actually been really useful because I have two rather nice prints on the wall and at the moment it's stopping the sunlight from hitting them. But at some point it will move from the window still and actually get make it into the kitchen. Yeah, I promise. 
Now, we did have a, a couple of emails which I mentioned, so I will come to those. Um, and thank you to everyone who did email us during the uh, current series. You're welcome to still email. We will try and get back to you if we can. The first one here is from Bob in Maryland. Um, watching the Bake Off, my husband and I started wondering how they power everything in the tent. So many refrigerators, stoves, ovens mixed with lighting. It must require a huge amount of electric power. But of course, they're in a tent, for goodness sake. I can't imagine they have an enormous extension lead or a bank of noisy generators. That's exactly what they do have. They have a bank of very noisy generators that are a long, long way away from the tent because obviously that would interrupt, um, that would really sort of intrude on the sound recordings. And they have a very, 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 very long extension lead. Um, so that's exactly what they do do. I don't know the technical ins and outs, but um, that's spot on. That's what they have to do. Well, there you go. That's your answer, Bob. But uh, that is what they do. And obviously, uh, ensuring that it doesn't impact the sound quality uh, significantly. Um, Our second email that I'm going to come to is from Ken and Diane. Uh, They are in Washington State. I really enjoy your podcast. We listen every week. Uh, Now this season is nearly done. Have you ever considered doing a podcast where you rewatch the seasons that Jane, Howard and your guests were in to talk about those challenges and the experience in the tent? I know they talk about some of them on the podcast, but it seems like going through the episodes will bring up more details and experiences. Uh, When was the last time you watched your series back, Howard? You know, it's. Um, I think it's last year. I did a um, what's called a bake with a legend at home. So I think it was a, a sort of hen party in someone's house, and they'd actually got my series running in the background. So we, it, it was quite distracting because you think, "Gosh, I look quite a lot younger there." And didn't we do some messy-looking things and all? So you do become very, very critical of not only how you you looked and how comparatively how you look now but just how messy some of the things were i was quite disappointed but fascinated yeah i can imagine also it's like you say uh jane sometimes when you're preparing for this podcast you watch it back a second time the episode you pick up a bit more and maybe even true with watching back old episodes you don't see things you saw you know the first time or you see new things um yes i apart from watching mine when it went out uh, when everybody watched it, I've never watched mine back because I absolutely hate watching myself. It, you suddenly realise you have lots of little mannerisms and you say the most ridiculous things and, and your bakes don't look as you imagined either. So I've never watched mine back. And But they can very kindly give us a CD with ours on. So we could at any time watch our own series. But let me tell you, it's never come out of its, uh, never come out of its case. But I very much enjoy looking at everybody else's series. That's always good fun to remind you of all the amazing things people like Howard and Ian made and all the disasters as well, because that's always very entertaining. That is amazing. A CD, that sounds quite uh, quite retro to be given a CD with your episodes on. Ian, were you giving a, given a CD? And, and when was the last time you watched your series back? It's funny hearing Jane say that, because um, I'm in exactly the same boat as that. I couldn't stand watching it uh cringed at everything i said and i thought oh no why did i say that um so mine are still uh sitting in the box as well so uh, and i don't even know where they are i've tidied up my office recently which is something that doesn't happen very often and it's like oh that's interesting um no sign of those dvds or cds so um i'm sure they're around somewhere it's been five years now so i kind of think oh 
maybe I could stomach watching it again, but it's like, no, I don't feel any desire to rush out and watch it. <laughs> well, well, we might have come up with something here. I'm not sure we're going to go through entire series, but I think picking out certain uh, key episodes possibly to watch um, is something we, we maybe look at. We'll see how this lockdown pans out and how, how much time we will have to dedicate to podcasts. But we uh, really appreciate the suggestion. Um, and thank you so much to uh, listening, Ken and Diane. We appreciate your email. Now, let's move forward to talking about this final. And I think what you want in a final, Ian, I'll come to you first, is to go in there and feel like you you did your best and that whatever happens, happens. And I think two of our three bakers will, will feel like that and, and one won't. Does this bring back memories of, of your final and just the energy that goes into just giving every last ounce of your, of your best towards it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because obviously the... You know, although it's a competition, it's it doesn't. You know, I think very few of the bakers go in there with a terribly competitive edge, and um, we just certainly I felt, and I think basically what all the bakers feel that you don't necessarily want to win. Well, I'm sure you kind of do, but really you just want to do do your best, do yourself proud. And I think Laura mentions that at some point in there um, over the the weekend that she. Um, you know, she just wants to do herself proud. And I think that's all anyone wants to do. Um, and I think that's sort of part of the charm of, of Bake Off. Uh, I remember in the auditions, they asked me if I was a competitive person. And it's, the question totally threw me. I thought, oh, I don't know. I, I have, and I said, I, I don't really know. I hadn't really thought about that. And I think that actually was the correct answer to say they don't want competitive people. They just want people who enjoy doing what they're doing. And I think that's what the... Um, you know, uh, yeah, the, the feeling of, of any week is, but particularly the final, um, that people just want to do their best. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, a, you know, it's obviously a huge pressure, but then um, it was, it was the, uh, the, uh, the bit I love is seeing the end of it and they're just the sort of the relief. It's all done. The sort of, whew, that's it. All 30 bakes done. Um, it's an incredible feeling um, after weeks and weeks of building up to it. I think what you mentioned there is is what's so lovely about the show and how it, was it arguably epitomized by we are what five minutes from the very end of the whole series five minutes away from handing in the final bake and we saw Dave uh you know offering help to his only competition in in potentially winning this year's bake off you know it looked like genuinely wanting to help Peter deliver the best that he could yeah, and I, I think that is the spirit of Bake Off, isn't it, really? I, I think, you know, we've talked in the past about sometimes, particularly on technical challenges, that the bakers are advised or even directed not to help each other. But it's um, it's something that you just want to be able to do. If you see somebody who needs a little bit of help and you've got a bit of time on your hands or something that will help them, then it's uh, it's it should be human nature to want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Jane, let's talk about this signature. Eight beautiful custard slices. Uh, what did you make of this? They were told laminated pastry was key, obviously looking for these great layers. Uh, we're looking for crispy, flaky pastry and silky smooth set custard. Uh, at least this was something a lot of people would have been very familiar with, you'd think. Oh, I would hope so. I mean, a custard slice is a... a absolute delight if you like custard which I do um 
don't see them about quite so much these days, I don't think, but they were very popular when I was young. You'd see them in um, in bread shops um, a lot. Interesting, interesting looking at them because I had a quick, I had a quick Google um, this morning just before um, before we recorded, and um, they will use gelatin in theirs. Uh, now I haven't made a custard slice. I've made a meal foy, um, but I've never made a custard slice, which I, I am going to because I think they, it just reminded me how much I love them. But if you look at recipes, not many of them have gelatin. A lot of them have just a good set custard in it, and all of them will tell you with whether they've got gelatin in or not that they need minimum four hours to set. So once again, these poor old bakers, as, as all of us have had to do, is to try and create something absolutely stunning. And um, as the brief always likes to say, of professional quality in, in two and a half hours. I How they got them set in that time, I really don't know. And, and they all shoved gelatin in, I think. So and, yeah, an interesting one. It's only one I want to have a go at, probably just do a straight straight vanilla one as well because they're delicious but um, um, no I think I think it was a lovely challenge and Ian when we're thinking here about the approach obviously time is such a a factor and they all went for a a rough puff pastry method given the the time limitations they had was there any other option here Uh, I wouldn't have thought so no doing um doing full puff pastry in that time limit would be um well nigh impossible basically uh I mean essentially we for our um, uh, technical challenge in the final, we had to do Milfoy, and I'm pretty sure that that was full puff pastry. Um, but it was, yeah. I guess I guess the difference was the pastry was kind of baked separately um, and just kind of got put on top, so it was just possible. But for this one, no, they wouldn't have had a choice. Mm-hmm. Howard, let's just talk about Laura's first because that was the one um, that didn't look as good as uh, she would certainly have liked. What do you think exactly was it that went wrong for her? Oh, gee, I felt so sorry for Laura. This was awful. Because I think we'd said on on previous occasions about in the past, when Tom Hovey does the illustrations of what the bake is is going to look like, then... um, in our series, he did a genuine illustration of, of what our finished baits look like. Now, they do an illustration of what the bake is supposed to look like. And the voiceover said that it, it was going to have an intricately piped Chantilly cream topping Laura's vertical custard slice. And then when you, bless her, when you saw what it actually ended up looking like. I think the main problem for me was um, that custard. I mean, she said she was putting 10 leaves of gelatin in it, but the amount of acidity that she was putting in there with the yuzu and and lime, um, I I just don't know. It it was more like a jelly than a custard, really, on balance, I think. And um, sadly, I think when something goes wrong like that, um, everything else just just then you're just trying to make the best of a bad job and um, it was so so sad yeah it was it was difficult wasn't it to to watch her and uh, the frustrations that she she clearly had because you know all the more so maybe with how Dave and Peter were presenting something that looked particularly good I thought Jane and we found out that Peter was just four years old when he began making cupcakes when we saw a little bit of of background on him and in the 16 years since he's he's certainly improved and you know become an incredible baker what did you make of 
of his custard slices. Yes, he is an incredible baker, isn't he? And at his age, I've said every week, I think that he's got a very old baking head on his shoulders and he can now give his baking head back to Howard. Now he's finished with it. <laughs> I I thought they were I thought they were lovely. I, I loved the idea of the flavours. I thought it was very suitable with his sort of Scottish heritage to do a, um, how do you pronounce this, Cranachan. I never never can pronounce it. I don't think I've ever had to say it before, actually. Um, I thought it was a great idea. The only thing about it, when he assembled the top layer of pastry, I would have liked to have seen it forming a very exact fit with the custard underneath. And some of those corners turned up a fraction but I think I'm being ultra picky now because it's the final but all in all sounded delicious on a personal level I don't think I would have liked the oat topping just because there's pastry there's custard there's pastry and then there's oats I might have find that a little bit hard but they did look gorgeous didn't they and and I'm just really nitpicking because it is the final I think he did a fantastic job Um, he's a great baker yeah, I thought they looked uh, really terrific. I think the feedback effectively said he he ticked every box. Um, and Dave didn't do too badly either, Ian. You know, he he was going, well, he had what, caramel and coffee. Um, yeah. This is two main themes. Yeah, what do you make right. of his? Yeah, well, I, I, I think they sounded delicious. I love making caramel and I do like a coffee, a good strong coffee. So um, it's a sort of custard slice I could well see myself making. I mean, Paul, Paul sort of raised his eyebrows and said caramel again. And it's, it's interesting because he has had trouble making caramel on occasions. We've seen, you know, quite a few pounds of uh, seized caramel where the sugar sort of crystallises before it goes into a nice caramel. So in some ways it felt like a, a bold, risky choice. But I think that was Dave all over for this final, really. But uh, yeah, I think he did an excellent job. He didn't manage to um, put the, the caramelised hazelnuts on top, but he just sort of rolled with it. And I think he presented something that looked and clearly tasted fantastic. Why yeah. didn't he put those caramel hazelnuts on? Because they looked good. He looked so he'd made some lovely ones. So I, I couldn't quite work out what was going wrong. Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. Um, something wasn't quite set. I think it might have been the the sort of the, the caramel covering or whatever it was on top of that pastry. Maybe it was just too soft and they were just sort of tipping over or something like that. Mm. I think that's what it was, but I'm not too sure. Mm. I thought his spikes were bending a bit. And I think if you've got a bendy spike, then you think probably, let's not put that on. I'll put a coffee bean on instead. Curse of the bendy spike. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, nevertheless, two two fantastic efforts. I mean, uh, we saw, how didn't we, this pep talk really uh, at this point from from Noel to Laura trying to re-energise her, trying to... I think there was an analogy with Bjorn Bjorg about always looking forward to the next points, but but it must it must be hard in any week, but all the more so surely in, in the final to try and put that to the back of your mind when you're already thinking I'd have to do something remarkable here. Yeah, and and I think it is partly to do with the fact that there are so few people in the tent at that point because the focus is definitely on you. If you you know we've said Jane said you have to be better than than one other person and in the final you have to be better than two and if you feel that that the other two people are 
are doing so well, it, it must be absolutely demoralising. I think Pooh said that, um, she said, Laura, you've had a bad morning, but it tastes delicious and you could have a great afternoon. So she also was trying to just say, put that behind you now and try and turn it around with the technical and the, um, and the show will stop tomorrow. Do you think That's... anybody remembers, if you're not a tennis fan, which I am, Buell and Borg? I can imagine Laura going, yeah, what is he talking about? Because, because I remember watching Buell and Borg back in the 70s and 80s. Well, you know, I'm not sure Laura was born, certainly probably not watching television. Certainly, certainly Peter wasn't. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Josh, I think you're probably the youngest one of us here. Do you, do you remember Bjorn Bjorg? Well, I'd certainly know Bjorn Bjorg was like a, a very famous tennis player. You know, right. whether I remember, um, I suspect I wouldn't have been around for any of his sort of Wimbledon successes. I'd have been about minus 10, I suspect. But, um, you know, certainly I'd have seen the classic clips on the on, of Wimbledon victories and whatnot. But um, it was quite a niche reference for, uh, for Noel to find. And we found out how old Noel is. Very sweet. He was very, very sweet. sweet. Yeah, he was very lovely, I thought. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Ian, let's move on to this uh, technical challenge. Eight little walnut whorls. We're looking for a, a, a sable biscuit-based coffee ganache filling surrounded by marshmallow covered by tempered chocolate. Have you made these before? What did you make of this? Uh, no, I've never made these before. They sound nice, but they do sound like the sort of technical challenge that would um, slightly give me the heebie-jeebies. Mm. Um, I've, I've never made marshmallow still to this day. Uh, they seem to to know how to do it. So I was quite impressed with that. So, yeah, I don't know if there is such a thing as a good um, technical challenge, but I was kind of glad it wasn't for me. Peter seemed to go into it quite confident as ever with this, you know, once again, that, that young head of his seems, seeming to know quite a lot. And he said he loved the walnut world. And he said something about hopefully I have the tech know-how how to how to make it, which is like, wow, okay, good on you. But yeah, very delicate, uh, very neat, so possibly not the thing for me, but um, sounded nice though. Yeah, it did sound nice. Howard, is there a difference between a walnut whip and a walnut whirl? No, do you know, I was thinking that. I, I thought has something, you know, like sometimes they change the names of chocolate bars or cleaning products and things like that. I thought, well, has walnut whip now got, got a kind of connotation that people don't like, oh, it's got a whip in there, let's take that out. So we'll call it a walnut whirl. No, I, I thought they were the same thing. Although I have to say, um, I've never had one with a biscuit base before. So I think this was adding um, a different element to it. And obviously, if it hadn't had a biscuit base in there, it would basically have been a chocolate rather than a baking product. But uh... Well, I, um, I I was thinking it will not whip. And I, I think that's exactly the, the right difference. And we should mention, uh, you know, about, about Peter... 
you know, he said he'd never even made a, a Sable biscuit before. So to, you know, use that know-how, he, he really did fantastically well, didn't he? Um, Jane, Laura didn't look overly enthused about this. And uh, she said she hates coffee and was staring at those coffee beans for a little while. Yes, she was. I I don't think the fact that you hate the flavour of a bake should affect the way that you bake it. But um, maybe she thought the gods were against her on the day, putting coffee in. But, you know, I just agree with the others. I thought the bake sounded horrible. Um, A a walnut whip, a walnut whirl. You know, yes, stick a biscuit base on the bottom just to make it a baking challenge. But you didn't ever put ganache in the middle. So you've got a sweet ganache covered by a sweet marshmallow. And, oh, I just thought it sounded gross from me. And I don't like things too sweet. And the idea of doing that, I mean, there was huge scandals when, I can't remember who used to make them, round trees, I think, took took the walnut out of the middle of the walnut whip. You'd get a coffee-flavoured marshmallow and a walnut set into the chocolate at the base because there wasn't a biscuit base. Um, and, and then they took the walnut out, presumably for um, financial reasons. But the idea of replacing a walnut in the middle with a load of coffee-flavoured ganache just made me feel a little bit sick, quite honestly. Um, tricky challenge, though. Uh, it was a very tricky challenge. And like Ian, I have never made marshmallow, so I might give them a go, but I'm going to skip the ganache filling in the middle. Okay, well, overall, the three of them did pretty well. I mean, Laura referenced this, that she had had a previous week where she had come top in the technical when really it was the best of a bad bunch. And here, you know, we had a pretty good bunch and she happened to be the worst of a, of a good bunch. What was it about Dave's that just saw him come through, um, do you think, to win? Um, what he managed to, he had, he had a very good shape to his. He had that um, distinctive twirl. Um, and what did you have? A very good biscuit. That was the, I think that was the crucial thing that uh, Paul and Prue particularly liked. Uh, it was a little bit thicker and had a had a good crack to it as well. So, yeah, it was. It seemed to be well, all down to the bake, really. But yeah, just the the, the overall neatness, I think, helped him win as well. Yeah. I think it looked perfect. I think it looked as good as the ones that Prue and Paul were eating at the start. I thought he had a really good bake, and he seems very cool this week. Seemed very contained and organised and unflustered. I think he, he's, he's got his sort of game face on this week. Yeah, absolutely. A very, a very strong week. And, and Howard Peter didn't do too badly either. I mean, he was told the biscuit could have been done perhaps a, a touch longer, but pr- pretty good feedback for him. He wasn't too far away. Yeah, I, th- I think he'd actually rolled his biscuit a little bit on the thin side. So I'd, I don't think it had the same kind of... Um, heaviness as as uh, Dave's but I have to say going back to Dave do you know the times on Bake Off I know we talk about kind of food porn and things like that when you could just watch people do something so beautiful and I thought that that he the way he made those walnut whips walnut worlds was I could sit and watch that all day I just thought they looked fantastic Mm, I, I absolutely agree and I I disagree I think Peter was was definitely second. He was that wee with He'd got a weeping marshmallow that lost its shape. He'd got a thin biscuit. I thought Dave won that by a country mile. I guess that plays into maybe a theme of the whole episode that there was a 
a feeling that they were so tight and, and neck and neck and not being quite clear in what direction the the episode was going. So perhaps perhaps it was edited to make it just look a touch closer between the two because Dave looked outstanding. And I think you're right. They they didn't look too different to the ones we'd, we'd seen Paul and Prue discussing ahead of the start of the challenge. And so to the 30th bake of 30 for this unique series of the Great British Bake Off, a colossal dessert tower, Jane, colossal dessert tower reflecting their Bake Off experience. We were looking for a large cake at the base and the rest of the tower showing off at least three different disciplines. Now, I just want to talk about Dave's first because this was quite a bold approach, wasn't it, to almost go back and seek redemption on things that hadn't gone perfectly. I just think it was madness. I mean, the tent has a very, very strange effect on you baking-wise. And to go back and try and make all the things that you struggled with first time round, I thought, when he first said what he was going to do, I thought, you're you're insane. I mean, it's just setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> all credit to him. And actually did a very good job. I, I thought he he pulled it off, but it was brave, if if a little foolish, more than a little foolish. Um to to make Babka for probably only the second time in your life, or certainly only the second time in the tent, um was incredible knowing how slowly a Babka rises. But <laughs> Yeah, all credit to him. I, I, I yeah, take my hat off to him. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, however, luckily he didn't trip himself up. I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah. Do you think how this was kind of a go hard or go home approach? Because if you're able to turn that around and show how much you progressed, and I think Paul had mentioned, hadn't he, in one of the last couple of weeks about how much he had progressed. So maybe yeah. he's thought, well, I want to show off here. Yeah, and no, I think as well that we've said that there's an element of Bake Off that is about the competition, but there's also an element of it that is about proving to yourself that you can do these things. And it's um, it's no good if you go back home and you prove to yourself that the things that you did badly on, you were able to do in your own kitchen. If you are able to meet your kind of um, disasters in the tent for a second time, then I can quite understand why you would want to do that. Well, yeah. you're mad too then, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. <laughs> um, you well, had it... another go at a chocolate college, eh, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I've done it in the privacy of my own home, Howard. <laughs> you... I did, actually, didn't I? <laughs> Ian, were you impressed by Dave's hit in terms of we had a shoe buns, we had the babka, brownies and the cake. Was was his the most impressive to you? How do you how did you assess his? Yeah, I mean I have to say hats off to the guy. I mean my sort of uh, sort of idea of going into the tent generally was to take risks, but oh my god, he really um he really did take risks and it was just sort of all these different components that he put together. Uh, I think was was amazing, and um, yeah, it, I think it sounded it all sounded like it was going to be really really good. I was sort of more excited to see his things than I was Peter's, which I was kind of surprised about really, because generally a lot of stuff Peter has made, I thought, oh, that sounds really really nice. 
But uh, this time it was certainly Dave's. I thought, yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a more interesting option, making uh, a Frasier cake rather than a Victoria sandwich. And you think, however good a Victoria sandwich is going to be, it's still a Victoria sandwich, really. Um, so I was surprised that Peter kind of, I don't know, put himself on the back foot to start with, I would say. Um, but uh, no, incredible job from Dave. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was fantastic, and and some of that feedback was um, excellent, and some of the feedback less so. And a similar theme with with Peter. Really, it felt like uh, you know two elements, you know, terrific, and, and two elements perhaps not not quite. Uh, and that feeling of neck and neck didn't go away. Um, Howard, if we if we just look at, at Peter's, he was going for this bonkers Bake Off journey cake uh, or bubble. Was it a bonkers bubble? bake-off cake i mean bonkers bake-off bubble cake well on the name alone he should have won um you have to say so howard i mean i know that he said jeepers creepers when he only has an hour left but what did you make of his overall efforts i thought i thought it was a good it was a it it was good i thought you know prue when she judged it was was slightly damning with faint praise in that she said all in all a good effort which is not what you want to hear you want to hear wow that that was uh, fantastic but yeah it looked a, a very nice victoria sandwich uh, lemon and blackberry shoe buns battenberg biscuits and friands with, with laura here jane she did she do the best do you think in the showstopper out of the three of them Oh, that's really an interesting question, isn't it? Um, I I loved her. I loved her quote at the beginning. To be honest, I've written it down. When it rains on your parade, look up, not down. For without the rain, there would be no rainbow. Um, her quote from G.K. Chesterton, which I thought was lovely. And if she really went into this final thinking that, or the, the showstopper thinking that, then I'd, yeah, it gives me a warm, fun, fuzzy feeling. Um, do you know? I think she probably did do the best. Uh, she made. Some, her lemon macarons were described as great. Her key lime pie were flavours were amazing. Uh, her Chelsea buns flavours fantastic, um, and her uh, uh, carrot cake was beautiful, perfectly baked, and heavenly were some of the, um, the descriptions. And I, I, I don't really want to let this final go by without just commenting on some of the awful, awful things that have been said about Laura um, on social media. I just want to say people do not realise that you can't taste it when you're watching it on telly. Um, and at almost every stage, they have said how fantastic her flavours are. She's messy. She doesn't always create something that looks incredible, but probably something that we would all want to eat at every stage of the competition. And I think this final showstopper... Um, was a fantastic example of that. I thought she did a, a stonkingly good job and she should be really proud of herself. Um, I think she actually couldn't do enough, perhaps, um, at this stage or was be believing she couldn't do enough. But of all the ones I wanted to eat, well, apart from the Frasier cake, which I think did look delicious, um, it was Laura's that I would have taken above the other two on this occasion. So she should be really, if she's listening to this, Laura, you did an amazing job. I hope you are listening, Laura. Remember, I was tipping you from the very start of this. So it uh, was absolutely, I felt proud to see you uh, in the final. And you're absolutely right, uh, Jane. Of course, it's not a problem linked to to just Bake Off. It's 
a societal issue that we have on, on social media with, with people having a platform where they can sort of anonymously or even not anonymously attack people where they where they really don't know and uh, can't put themselves in that position. And I've seen numerous other former uh, Bake Off uh, alumni, certainly including Dan, who often does a podcast with us, who has sort of made the point of how long it took him really to get over some of the sort of comments that were said online of him. And we, we hope um, that Laura is able to ignore things that have been said online and, you know, should take great pride that from thousands of people who would have loved to have been in the tent to make it to the final is, well, to be in the final is something only 33 people in the whole country have done, right? Of which we've got two of them here on the podcast with us. So we are, we're delighted to have that. I, I thought, Ian, was this one of the very few times in, in the whole series we saw uh, Peter just, just look a little bit flustered, particularly with those, uh, was it the checkerboard Battenberg biscuits? Yeah, that was uh, that was funny, wasn't it? He just, he, he kind of slightly lost it, didn't he? he just, you think it's such a simple thing to make um, checkerboard and he just made stripes and didn't just sort of make one or two. He made a whole tray of them. I don't know. I'd love to know what was going through his mind and whether he thought, oh, let's change tack. Let's do stripes instead. And then thought better of it and decided to make um, Battenbergs. Um, not, sorry, not Battenbergs, checkerboards. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess maybe the, the, the pressure was getting to him a little bit. Um, somehow he managed to turn it around. Uh, I mean, I do think it's amazing when pay, when bakers get things wrong and then make it again or whatever and do manage to do it. I mean, it was like Laura in that technical. She she had to make the marshmallow again. And certainly for me, and I don't know, but I imagine it's probably the same for Jane Howard and everyone else, that every single minute counts. I mean, Dave did actually finish his, his showstopper earlier, early, but uh, certainly for me, of the 30 bakes, 29 of them literally were down to the last few seconds. I think one of them I had about a minute or two to spare and that was it. So hats off to anyone who, um, you know, kind of does actually get their cool back again and says, no, I can rectify this. So yeah, he briefly lost it, but brought it back. So good on him. Yeah, it was a rare moment, Howard, that seeing Dave with, well, we don't know exactly how long he had left. It wasn't quite Karen sitting there with her crisps in in being totally chilled with the uh, surroundings. But what a feeling that must have been to have had such a plan to be making things that hadn't gone brilliantly to then finish it early and be able to enjoy the last few minutes in, in the tent like that. I think it is something. I mean... It's something that is so rare in the tent because Ian's absolutely right. Most of the time, you are right up against the wire in terms of timing. And quite often, you know, you are so disappointed because you don't finish everything off in the way that you would love to do. So on those very rare occasions when you have timed it right and you've, uh, you're able to just relax a little bit, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. I didn't feel it that often, but yeah. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Jane, just want to touch on, um, you know, memories of the final. I know we'd have spoken a little bit about it on the on the first series. A, a big moment of that presumably would have been that garden party. And, and we saw a lovely moment where they were, you know, wanting to almost thank these. We, we heard nearly 100 people. I think it was it was Peter who referenced nearly 100 people in this extraordinary, unique bubble. The most um, unique series there will probably ever be of Bake Off. And those were the people that were able to uh, to come to this party and enjoy and celebrate the three finalists. Yes, it, it's a funny old day, the final. Um, 
you know, it, hours, I can't remember. I think we were a five-hour showstopper and all our guests arrive early and we're obviously nipping back some boys to the loo and off to have interviews done. And every time we walked out of the tent, you'd hear an almost and clapping. Um, and you knew there was everybody out there just waiting to see you and very excited about being at the Bake Off final. So it must have been strange having your just your bubble and none of your friends I, I did notice none of the other bakers normally all the other bakers turn up as well and there, there weren't any other bakers there obviously because they'd gone out of the bubble um th- th- this year's bakers must have really bonded with all the crew and the home economists and the runners and we do bond with them anyway but to have been living with them for six to eight weeks um, must have formed a very, very special relationship. And I was looking out to see whether there was anybody there that was there when I was, uh, you know, in the tent. Um, and I think I spotted a couple of faces, but it was all so fast. Yeah, a, a strange, a very strange day for everybody, but lovely that they could then spend it with people they had obviously spent a lot of time with in the crew. So thank goodness there was somebody there to welcome them outside the tent. I, was, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, um, but I hope they all had a jolly good drink at the end of it. Well, you know, that, um, that tea party was the, the reason that I entered Bake Off in the first place. Who was it? Because <laughs> yeah. my wife, Eleanor, she, watching the year before, she said, oh, yeah, that looks like such a lovely party. I'd love to love to go along to it. Go on, put an application in. <laughs> and so I did. Um, what was the weather like for yours? Because it rained in the afternoon. For By the time we came out of the tent, it was raining, sadly. Oh, right. It was. It was. It rained in the morning, but the afternoon was lovely. Um, so um, as it was, Eleanor didn't enjoy the party at all. <laughs> she, she was super stressed for the first half and then consoling weeping children for the second half so oh, <laughs> it was rubbish <laughs> i tried though <laughs> howard your, your memories uh, of course from a from a different perspective but it must have you know been a nice moment and a, and a shame that this year's contestants wouldn't have had that opportunity to come back on a day like that yeah it's a, it is a shame and i think you know, it's it's one of those things that you, it, it, it's lovely to be able to chat to uh, the bakers who've gone out earlier. I remember in in, in my year, um, Toby was one of the, uh, the he was the first baker to go out. I'd hardly spoken to him. And it's not until the, the final that you get a chance and you think, oh, what a pity, you know, we, we could have, um, you know, we could have really been good friends. <laughs> Well, look, I'm afraid we're at the uh, the very end, really, of our of our podcast series. But we have to give our thoughts here. Ian, it was so close to call, but in the end, it was Peter who was awarded the victory. Peter did it. Yeah, I mean that sort of that childhood dream has uh, has come true for him. Um, so I have to say, I'm real. I am delighted for him because clearly, I think of all of them there. I mean, I'm sure they've all dreamed of uh, of getting that cake stand, but. I think he's dreamed a lot more than most of us have, that's for sure. So, you know, so many congratulations to him. Yeah, he said he's been watching Bake Off for over half his life, Howard. And, well, he'll want to watch back this final. Uh, what a what a brilliant victory for him. It, it was, yeah. I think he's shown so much maturity throughout the series. And I think particularly that signature this week was just amazing, the 
the skill that he he showed in being able to put that um, that slice together, produce something so beautiful. Yeah, I deserve winner. And Jane, you picked Peter right near the start, as did Howard, as someone we'd possibly see make the whole way through to the final. Um, were you pleased to see him crown champion? Oh, I was delighted. I, I think it's such a fantastic thing for a young person to be seen to be cooking such extraordinary things. And if I think over the years, I've always said that, you know, people don't cook enough for whatever reason. And I think if, if you want some inspiration to get into the kitchen, Peter is a very good example to hold up to absolutely everybody. And I hope everybody's inspired by what a fantastic job he's done. Um, I think the final was incredibly close and I probably would have just put Dave ahead, but we can never taste anything. And um, it looked like the Christmas theme came through once again for Peter. Um, He did a great job and huge congratulations. And I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled for him. Well, well done to all three of the finalists and indeed well done to all 12 of the bakers. Well done to Love Productions for producing a series in the most difficult of circumstances. And right at the end, until the last couple of minutes, we didn't know who who was going to win. So it made for fantastic viewing. Now, Howard, just before we go for the final podcast of this series, we we can't not have a final Howard's hump. Yeah, we, we've touched on this before. This is the year when virtually every food festival has been cancelled. Um, we weren't expecting there to be a bake-off. Um, the bakers have been away from home for over six weeks. We know that there have been 100 people locked in a bubble to produce this year's bake-off. And still, the bakers have had to suffer sniping and griping and petty prejudices of people with nothing better to do. So I just think, you know, oh, give it a rest. Um, it's a sentiment that's been attributed to, I think, my mum and Margaret Atwood and Dumper the Rabbit. And it's basically, we can't say nice, don't say anything at all. That is uh, an important message to perhaps end the current series of our podcast. We have loved it. Thank you for listening to us from uh, all over the UK. But as I mentioned, we have had so many emails in from America, from Canada. I can see on the analytics we get that we've got about 35 countries where people have been listening to us from. um, And we we hugely appreciate it. Um, I know many of you have been using the code podcast to sign up to our online classes. There are a huge number going on, not only ahead of Christmas, but also in January, if you are thinking about uh, Christmas presents, possibly vouchers to come to our classes. Um, And also, as mentioned at the very top of this podcast, we would love to see you at our webinar that we're doing. Uh, Dan Beasley Harling is holding a free webinar teaching you how to make the perfect scone. Uh, That's at 7.30 UK on Saturday. And then an hour or so later, Howard and Jane and I are going to be hopping on to, to hear from many of you, we hope, questions that you want to um, put to us on the series that we've just been enjoying so much. So we look forward to seeing you then. Thank you, Ian. Thank you so much to Jane and to Howard. It's been a shame not to meet up in person this year, but I've loved doing this podcast with you. And perhaps I'll persuade Howard and Jane and even Ian that we can uh, watch back some of the old episodes whilst we remain in lockdown and, and give you something else to enjoy. Um, if you do want to reach us at any point, you can do so. It's the bakedown at bakewithlegend.com and we will see you again very soon. You 
just heard a stripped media production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 